0: back to stories new and old with me Alyssa. Today you're going to learn about one of the greatest accomplishments of John Adams, the second president of the United States and the most important revolutionary during the American Revolution. You're going to hear about a few years of impactful activity that he had in Europe. You'll come to understand why I personally am in love with John and hopefully walk away from this episode with admiration for the most underappreciated founding father. So let's get started with how I fell in love with John Adams. And that might seem like a bold statement, but I assure you it is not. I've been building up to this episode for a while because I wanted to make sure I really had the hang of podcasting because I needed to do this story justice. I've always been a fan of history, probably because my parents were always telling me stories and taking me to historical homes and sites, and I really went all in on my passion for history when I started learning about John Adams towards the end of middle school. So. Quick story time about a young Alyssa. Um, I went to summer theater camp throughout middle school, and unsurprisingly, I always wanted to be the star of the play. However, in the summer of 2007, that was not to be because the star of the play was a boy character. So I was bummed out about this, but I ended up getting a lucky break because the boy who was cast as the lead couldn't make it to the show. Why couldn't he make it? Well, because he got a paid acting position in an HBO miniseries. He played the young John Quincy Adams in the classic Paul Giamatti and Laura Linney miniseries called John Adams. And yay, I got to take over as the lead of the show and I played a boy character. But of course, I was curious to see what could he be doing that was more exciting than a theater camp play. When I started watching the John Adams miniseries, I fell in love with our greatest revolutionary and second president. Since then, I've read at least five books about John Adams, told everyone I know that I'm in love with him, and even commissioned an oil painting of John Adams that is prominently displayed in our living room. The love is very real, and the love is very deep. Well, John Adams didn't have the strongest presidency, um, he You know, you might've heard of the Alien and Sedition Acts. Um, He was arguably the most important person during the revolution. He was the person who nominated Thomas Jefferson to write the Declaration of Independence, and then he heavily edited it along with Ben Franklin. He was the person who nominated George Washington to lead the Continental Army. He was so passionate and engaged. And even though he talked a lot, he was actually able to get things done and recognize who should lead. Even though I can go on and on about everything that is great about him, both professionally and personally, um, today I'm going to share one story that stands out to me that demonstrates his tenacity, his forward thinking, and his general ability to get stuff done. So let me tell you a little bit about the situation that we're going to be diving into. Even though people often think of Alexander Hamilton as the finance guy and especially start to hate John Adams because of the musical Hamilton that does not paint Adams in a very good light, Adams was actually the person that secured the financial independence that opened the door for Hamilton. And he was doing all of this when Hamilton was only 25 years old and busy trying to make himself a war hero. In the closing days of the Revolutionary War, a newly independent America found herself deep in debt to both domestic creditors and to foreign governments, most notably France. So to stabilize the shaky U.S. economy, the Continental Congress was turning to the powerhouse of the day, the city of Amsterdam. I'm going to share how Adams got to Europe in the first place, how he took it upon himself to establish economic relations with the Dutch, and what it shows about his character. So let's go back and talk about why John was going to Europe in the first place. He was headed to France on a diplomatic assignment from the Continental Congress in 1779. He gets on a ship. He was bringing his two young sons with him. And within two days of leaving Boston, they sprung a leak in the ship. Then they hit a storm and the leak got even worse. Everybody had to be involved with trying to pump out the water. Even John's son, little John Quincy, who wasn't even a teenager yet, had to be involved with physically pumping water out of the ship. So it was a pretty much disastrous situation, and they weren't able to make it directly to France as intended. They had to land in Spain. Little John Quincy wrote to his mother, one more storm very probably would have carried us to the bottom of the sea. So it was high stakes going on here. So they end up in Spain, and it was another thousand miles by land to get to Paris. John Adams decided, you know what, I don't want to wait weeks for repairs to be made to this ship. I'm going to take this 1,000-mile trip overland to Paris. In the best of circumstances during that day, it would have been a 30-day journey, and it was going to be over pretty harsh terrain. And it was even worse because they landed in Spain in December in the dead of winter. But John was like, you know what, let's go for it. I can't wait around. I've got important work to do. After about a week where they were getting ready in Spain, John was barely sleeping because apparently I learned that there was a big flea problem (laughs) in Spain and that was disrupting all of their sleep because they were getting bitten in their beds. Um, So it was not a glamorous time. It was pretty tough and they were only just getting started. So it was John Adams, two of his sons, plus he had some other companions and servants. So they all get together. They have to carry all of their supplies with them, and they rode mules to get to Paris. It was pretty rough. I'm going to read you an excerpt from the book, John Adams by David McCullough. Um, This was the book that the mini series was based on just to illustrate to you how challenging things were. So this is John Adams writing and he says, we go along barking and sneezing and coughing as if we were fitter for a hospital than for travelers on the road. He had never known a worse undertaking. He fumed in his diary. And only in a letter to Abigail, his wife, did he concede that he had made a mistake coming over land. So things were, like I said, very rough, um, and they did not reach Paris until February 9th, which means that it took more than two months for them to make their way from Spain to Paris. But all right, now we've made it over that first hurdle. We've gotten to Paris. What was going on over there? Why was he headed there? And why was he sent on this diplomatic mission? Well, Benjamin Franklin was already there in Paris, and he was focused on ensuring continued military support from the French and laying the groundwork for an eventual peace treaty with England. And Adams was supposed to be supporting in these efforts, but he found that there wasn't much value that he was adding in France because Franklin already had it relatively under control and he thought that he knew best how to deal with the French. John Adams was a bit more direct than the French were used to or than they wanted him to be. And there was a lot of tension going on. So eventually John was like, you know what, that's it. I'm leaving. I think I can be more effective elsewhere. Franklin reported to Congress that Adams had departed Paris to go to Holland to see, as he told Franklin, whether something might be done to render us less dependent on France. So what is it that he's trying to do in Holland? Well, this idea was not his alone. Um, It was well established that the United States needed a line of credit in Europe and to set us on a path for legitimacy as a nation, Um, and we really needed to stop Desperately depending on France to fund our war. So John decides in conjunction with Congress, this is already, like I said, being talked about, that we really need to establish ties with Holland, specifically with banks in Amsterdam, to establish that line of credit. There was also another issue going on, financially speaking, where Congress was devaluing the currency to fight inflation, but we're not going to get into that. We're just going to focus on establishing this line of credit and getting a loan. So Congress had selected a guy named Henry Lawrence from South Carolina to be sent to Holland to seek the loan, but he wasn't able to depart until the summer of 1780. And John Adams was like, you know what, I'm I'm going over there. And there was also like these challenges of communication where John was getting delayed notification of everything that was happening because they were relying on letters being sent across the sea very unreliably. Um, And so he decides, you know what, I'm going to head over to Amsterdam and France. They wanted to get rid of John anyway. They were not really getting along. So they're like, here are the passports you need to get to Holland. Go. Um, And he went entirely on his own as a private citizen. So let's now talk a little bit about what you need to know about Holland. Because right now we just have John making his way from Boston to Spain to Paris. Now he's like, nope, I'm going to Holland. So what was going on over there? First, I'm going to read you an excerpt about the Golden Age of Holland, which was a little bit before John Adams arrived there, but just to give you a sense of why this was viewed as the financial powerhouse in Europe. The 17th century had been the Golden Age of the Dutch. In one of the most astonishing upsurges of commercial vitality in all history, they had become the greatest trading nation in the world, the leading shipbuilders and map makers. Amsterdam, the busiest port in Europe, became the richest city in the world, and with their vast wealth, the Dutch became Europe's money lenders. By the time that Adams arrives in the late 1700s, the golden age of the Dutch was long past and there was some level of decline going on in terms of their influence in the wider world, but there was still a lot of prosperity. John Adams was very enamored with the culture and the spirited debates that he heard going on in the coffee houses and the smoke houses. Um, But we have to remember he wasn't able to speak Dutch. So he was dealing with a language barrier and speaking with people who could also speak English or he was able to speak French as well. So he had that option. In September, he got official word from Congress to go for it, try to secure a loan until Henry Lawrence arrives. What he did not know was that during this time, after Lawrence left the United States, he was captured at sea and he was put into the Tower of London. And during the capture, he threw a bag of letters and documents over the side of the boat. However, um, the British, they got the the bag of letters out of the water, and within that bag there was a draft for a secret treaty between Holland and the United States. And Britain was now using it to say, hey, we should maybe go to war with the Dutch if they're going to create a secret treaty with the United States. And the Dutch start freaking out. They're like, we do not want to be involved in this. Um, Even though this document really wasn't taken seriously on the wider stage um, in the world, the British were just using it as an excuse to try to intimidate the Dutch. So in order to get a loan from the Dutch, the United States needed to prove that they were going to be an independent nation, that they were going to win the war against the British, and show that they had vast natural resources in the United States. So Adams was setting out to prove this. In fact, David McCullough writes in his book that John Adams had a phenomenal capacity for work, an attribute not lost on the industrious Dutch. He produced materials of every kind in an all-out effort to undeceive them, while at the same time providing Congress with some of the most astute political reporting of his diplomatic career. So John Adams was on fire. <laughs> he was over there feeling very invigorated with his mission and very focused on getting the Dutch to understand That even though things weren't going too hot with the war, that there was hope they were going to establish themselves as an independent government and they were a good investment in the long term. The likelihood of a loan was diminishing, and Adams' own positive views of the Dutch started to decrease over the course of a few months, especially as there weren't many positive news reports coming over from the United States that they were doing well in the war. By five months in of being in Amsterdam, John Adams still had not met anyone of importance in the government. Um, And then six months in, he thought, all right, this is getting ridiculous. I cannot sit here and wait around to be asked to come and talk to the government of Holland. So the way that it worked at the time was that if you were a diplomat to a foreign country, you couldn't just go and say, hey, I want to have a meeting with you guys. Instead, you had to wait to be invited by that government. And so that's what John was doing. He had been waiting and he was done with waiting six months in. So he completely broke convention and he decided to write an appeal directly to the government that he would then deliver. He was majorly dissuaded by the French minister in Holland, um, but he refused to give up on his mission. He presented it to one representative, not officially to the government as a whole, and then it was published in all of the newspapers and he waited for the response. And I want to illustrate that this was a really hard time for John Adams. Number one, he was separated from his wife, Abigail, and the communication lag was, was crazy. Um, as an example, Abigail wrote John a letter on Christmas, and it did not get to him until the following summer. Um, so that was you know just a major disconnect that he had with his partner. The second thing that was going on was that the French minister, the the key person that the United States was working with in France, was trying to get John Adams out of the picture altogether. He kind of pushed him out when John was in France, and then he continued to push for his removal. And then the third thing that happened was John got deathly ill for about six weeks. Uh, And it's not totally clear on what he was ill from. It could have been malaria. That was pretty common, especially because... Amsterdam was built on canals and that attracted mosquitoes that carried malaria. There were some other theories, but needless to say, he was super, super sick for six weeks and he had lingering effects of that illness. Um, And so he was pretty beaten down by this point. He ended up having to go back to Paris for something else that was going on more months passed, and things were not looking up for his goal of being able to secure this loan. But finally, a turning point did arrive months later. The Battle of Yorktown was won by the United States, and with that, there was a lot of momentum that John Adams could use, and he appealed to the citizens of Amsterdam to petition their government for American recognition. So saying, yes, we recognize America as an independent country, and we are willing to talk to the diplomat from America, John Adams. Um, And ultimately, Holland was the second country to recognize the U.S.'s independence after France. A full year after his initial memorial was presented, right when he said, hey, you've got to talk to me, um, he was finally recognized as an ambassador by the Dutch, and he was received by them. On June 11th of 1782, Adams negotiated with three Amsterdam banking houses a loan of $2 million at 5% interest. Now, we might say to ourselves, 2 million bucks like that's not that's not all that much but let's put it into context of what was going on back then. So when you compare America's gross domestic product back then versus today, that 2 million dollar loan would be as impactful as us receiving a 150 billion dollar loan today. So this was a great rate that he was getting. That 5% interest was super fair. It was an amazing victory. And again, I want to read you some commentary on what an amazing victory this was and how important and impactful it was for the US. So John Adams wrote, I have rendered a most important and essential service to my country here, which I verily believe no other man in the world would have done. I don't mean by this that I have exerted any abilities here or any action that are not very common, but I don't believe that any other man in the world would have had the patience and perseverance to do and to suffer what was absolutely necessary, which yes, true John Adams, you are the best. (laughs) Um, And a little bit more context here. It had been his own path that he had taken, alone and in his own way. He had been ignored and ridiculed. He had very nearly died in the process, yet he had persisted and succeeded. Had he followed the advice and exhortations that he was subjected to and suspended operations to request instructions, he would have been forbidden to proceed as he had, and most likely Holland would have signed a separate peace with England." Thanks to God that He gave me stubbornness when I know I am right, John Adams wrote. This was a huge victory. It made us less dependent on the French, which ultimately helped us when we were going through peace negotiations to end the war. It foreshadowed the interest of the Dutch in American commercial security, land, bank, and canal enterprises over the next 20 years. And this is the story that just gets me so jazzed up because he was taking initiative, he was working outside of normal conventions, and he was completely driven by his principles and beliefs that this was the right thing to do for the U.S. and that it was going to ultimately be the right thing to do for the Dutch. The amount of pushback that he received and the challenging situations that he was in. I mean, we didn't even talk about the fact that he had his two young sons with him for a lot of this time. And then he sent them away to school and then they were abused in the school and they were brought back to him. And like all this stuff was going on. And I just wanted to give you the high level storyline because I think it just shows how important he was to America securing our independence and establishing ourselves on the national stage. And this is just one of many incredible stories about John Adams and his determination, his perseverance, and his true deep-seated belief in the United States of America. It's wild to think about the hardships that he suffered, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, and all that he did to support this country. Thank you for listening to me gush about John Adams for one of my longer episodes. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Stories New and Old podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow me on Instagram to get teasers for new episodes, and you can check out my blog for more great history content. If you're so inclined, please rate and review this episode as it helps me come up with new ideas and is a wonderful way for you to support the podcast. Thanks for listening to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. I will see you next time.